so Tuesday, if you don't know this, was the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. 1941 was the year, and 1941 was a good year for Americans before that day. Um, 1941 was the year of Bugs Bunny and Walt Disney. It was the year Captain America came out and Wonder Woman. Okay? So America was booming. The economy was recovering well from the 1930s where it had been uh, really, really bad, right? And life was more comfortable for more Americans in 1941 than it had ever been. By December 6th, Americans were thinking about Christmas. But on December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Now I want you to imagine with me. What if that attack had been an invasion? What if they had not stopped in Hawaii and had invaded the western coast of the United States? What if America had been conquered and our grandparents were exiled to a foreign land? Or what if that happens tomorrow? Okay, Imagine being forcibly removed from our homes and exiled to a strange country. Imagine life as we know it today, gone. And in order to keep this what-if scenario biblical, imagine that all of that happens because we deserve it. Imagine it happens because of our sin. Our sins both as a nation and as individuals. Because this what-if game I'm playing with you, that's the context of Isaiah 40. That's the context of what we're about to read. Things have been good in Judah for many years. The people were, at that time, living in peace and prosperity But in Isaiah 39, God tells Hezekiah, the king, that Judah will one day be conquered by Babylon and the people will be exiled because of their sins. God says, your days of peace and prosperity will end and when it does, it will be your fault. And now we come to our text, Isaiah 40 beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that is our text for today. Now, on the heels of a devastating prophecy that God's people are going to be exiled into a foreign land, God immediately in the next chapter provides this, which is good news, right? He says, here's the bad news, but it will not last forever. And we have the benefit of looking back through history, and we know that this carries even greater significance. This is not just about the people of God returning from exile. This is also about Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, we're going to look more closely at the text. We go back to verse 1. Notice that the first word is repeated. Comfort, comfort. That's the Bible's way of emphasizing a word. Okay, So he says, comfort, comfort my people. And this is not what we think of when we hear the word comfort. Okay, This is not um, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. A warm cup of hot chocolate and a, you know, a, a soft blanket curled up on the couch. Okay, This is the comfort of good news in response to bad news. So he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. One, that her warfare has ended. And two, that her sins have been pardoned. Okay, Warfare ended, sins pardoned. Now... To that first point, it's like the difference between December 7th, 1941 and August 15th, 1945, which was the day Japan surrendered. Okay, so the war was over and husbands and fathers, sons and brothers were coming home. There was a physical comfort. There was a real celebration going on, right, that the good news that the war is over, that hard times are ending. And that's part one of this promise. But part two, the second part, carries the most weight. God says, because her sins have been pardoned. In other words, the reason for the exile is going to be addressed. God will do something about the problem that they created in the first place. He's going to solve that problem. But notice that this good news is not for everyone. Specifically, this news is covenantal. God says, this is for my people. Comfort, comfort, my people. People. These are my people, God says. And the verse is actually written as a command. He's saying, comfort my people. Comfort my people. And notice how the message is given. God says to speak tenderly this promise. Now, if you've got young children... Most of us probably don't have to actually wake our kids up on Christmas morning, right? They usually wake us up, at least at, at the Weinbrenner home. And if you've 
But if you've ever had the experience, if you ever had to actually go wake your kids up for Christmas morning, I'm not sure if we've ever, maybe we've done that. But if you did it, it's not going to be like school morning, right? Where, you know, you, everybody's scrambling to get ready and you're going to be late and you run into the room, flip on the lights and bark at them to get out of bed, right? Come on, you're going to be late, get out of bed. We don't do that for Christmas morning, right? We do it gently. Just imagine going in and your kids overslept and you, you just kind of shake them gently and you say, wake up. It's Christmas morning, right? If you got the opportunity to do it, that's how you would do it. And apparently, that's how God wants this good news delivered. He wants it delivered gently. He wants it to be spoken tenderly. And so I think about it like waking someone up on Christmas morning. Waking up to joy. Waking up to good things. And again, it's important. This is for God's people. It's explicitly not for everyone. But what's the difference? What is God doing for His people that makes us special? Isaiah answers that question at the end of verse 2. He says, she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, at first glance, when I read this, and maybe you're thinking this, that doesn't sound like good news, right? Receiving double for all your sins. But the reason it's good news is because what God is saying, He's saying that the payment has been made. And this is where it gets interesting. Okay, The sins of the people technically... If you read the Bible and you kind of understand the theology of sin and death and punishment, the sins of the people technically deserved death and even eternal punishment, not just exile. I mean, that's the big story, right? And so no one at that time should have walked away from the exile believing that they had served their time like a prison sentence and somehow earned their own redemption on good behavior. That was not the point. Okay, The, the, the reality of the situation is that the punishment did not fit the crime. They had not, in fact, paid double for their sins. And so it is on the heels of that proclamation that we actually find a massive foreshadowing of the gospel message. Okay, Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Verse 3 says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Now, we know from... All four Gospels, that the voice in the wilderness was who? John the Baptist, right? All four Gospels. Did you know this? All four Gospels don't even mention the birth of Jesus. But all four of them mention John the Baptist. And specifically, they quote Isaiah 40, verse 3, when they introduce John. All four of them. 
Now, I got to be honest with you. We don't make much of John in the church. Most of the time, when I hear kind of the Christmas story preached, the introductions to the Gospels, most of the time, most preachers, including me, we just kind of skip over John's ministry as quick as we can, right? We think of it kind of this weird footnote to the ministry of, of Jesus and the Christmas story. And so we just kind of rush past it uh, to get to the more important parts of the Christmas story. Am I right about that? That's typically what we do. But if all four Gospels mention John's ministry, it's probably more important than we realize. And so I think we need to pay more attention to John's mission. And his mission, according to the text, was to prepare the way for Jesus. To prepare the way for Jesus. But what does that mean? What does the prophecy say? It says He will make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It says He will lift up the valleys and knock down the hills. He will level the ground. He will smooth out the rough places. Okay, What does that sound like? Last year, everyone living in Horn Lake celebrated. Do you know why? If you live in Horn Lake, you probably know where I'm going with this. It's because the city finally repaved Horn Lake Road. Okay, Now, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was 10 years overdue. Horn Lake Road was a minefield of potholes. No telling how many tires and axles were destroyed trying to drive down Horn Lake Road. It was a mess. But now, it's glorious. And do you remember driving down it the first time? You're like, hallelujah. Okay, I mean, it was a praiseworthy, worshipful moment to drive down that road after they finally fixed it. And John's ministry was just a little bit like repaving Horn Lake Road, okay? The idea is this. There's a king coming, and we can't have the king driving down a street with dozens of potholes. He deserves a comfortable ride. We need to smooth out the valleys, okay? We need to smooth out the rough places. That's the idea behind that, those verses. But the irony, of course is that Jesus was born into humble surroundings. There were no palaces or red carpets. No comforts at all, really. In fact, his family had to run to Egypt to avoid an assassination attempt. Okay? So, not exactly a smooth landing for the Lord Jesus. But that's not what the prophecy means. Because you see, what needed leveling out was the hearts of men and women. We are the uneven ground. Let me see if I can convince you that that's true. Do you know what John's sermons sounded like? Again, we don't pay a lot of attention to John's ministry because we're trying to get to Jesus. And that's fair. 
But do you know what John's sermon sounded like? Luke 3 gives us a good example. John told people to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And after he said this, the people pressed him for examples of what he meant. And this is what John said. Luke 3, verse 10. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So John tells the people, God's people, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And every single example John gives is about what? Money. Every single example he gives is about sacrificial giving. Giving up what you don't need for people who do need it. In other words, according to John, the one who is to prepare the way for Jesus, the fruit of repentance looks like giving up personal comfort for the sake of others. And to be clear, this was from a man who ate bugs and wore camel skins. And according to the Bible, this is how John prepared the way for Jesus. He taught the people to value sacrifice more than their own comfort. He taught them to share with people in need. And this is not a coincidence when you link it back to Isaiah. And you kind of have to look at the whole book of Isaiah for this to really shine. Okay? But in the first chapter of Isaiah, God lays out His case against the people. He calls them children who have rebelled against their father. And then He says this. This is Isaiah 1, verse 16. He says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before My eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Now, that sounds a bit like the kind of stuff that John was telling the people to do, doesn't it? In Luke 3. And what did John do to the people? He baptized them. He washed them in the Jordan River. So what do we do with this? Two things very briefly and then we'll be done. There's a gospel connection and then there's an application. Okay, first the gospel connection, first the good news. John's ministry prepared the way, but it was not the way. 
His ministry prepared the way, but it was not the way. Okay, we, we know who's the way. Jesus Himself is the way. All right? It is actually impossible for us to make ourselves clean. No amount of doing good or avoiding evil is going to be enough to make us acceptably clean before the Father. John demonstrated the need for repentance. But faith in Jesus Christ was also necessary. Okay? And this is not absent from the book of Isaiah. So lest you say the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that's not true. Look at Isaiah 51, verse 12. God says clearly, I, I am He who comforts you. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the door and the gate and the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the true vine. He is the living water. And all of that is true because Jesus left heaven and chose to experience the opposite of comfort, which looks like the curse of sin, death, and the wrath of God, in order to draw us back into God's favor. Okay? So there's the gospel connection. I mean, that's what we're supposed to connect the dots to Jesus. Okay? John prepared the way, showing us the need for repentance the difficulty pointing us to faith in Christ ultimately. But here's the application. I'll be the first one in the room to admit Christmas is usually about me. And if I'm honest, it's not just Christmas. It's 365 days a year. Is about Mike. How can I squeeze the most comfort out of this short life? How can I get the most satisfaction? How can I consume the most entertainment? How can I get the most bang for my buck. And when suffering comes, and it does for all of us, my first thought is not usually run to Christ. Very often, my first thought is, how can I control this? (laughs) And if not... How can I self-medicate my way back to feeling comfort again? Can anybody relate to that? (laughs) I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Okay? I'd be lying if I stood up here and said, Christmas for me is all about Jesus. Every day. Okay? In my heart, it's just not true. Um... But, that's why we're here. That's why I'm here. 
as we remember what Jesus gave up for His people, and and that's what we want, that's what I want for you, for myself, is as we approach Christmas, as we get closer to that day, that morning, and we contemplate, we think about what Jesus has done, what He gave up for us, In that time, as the Spirit is at work in our lives, may we also bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Looking for opportunities to make the hills low, to lift up the valleys, to smooth out the rough places, right? Preparing our hearts for our Savior. Glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Gracious Father, um, You know our hearts. You know that we spend a lot of our time longing for comfort. And how we would describe that comfort changes on a daily basis sometimes, the things that we think are going to make us happier and healthier. And we'll even talk to you about it and we'll say, Lord, if you would just do this for me, I'd be okay. That's all I need. Just a little more. If you would just take away this thing, this thorn in my side, Lord, everything would be all right. And I would praise you. Father, everything we're searching for is in Jesus. It's enough. He's enough. You're enough. And if we're going to worship You rightly, we need to come before You in repentance, bow our hearts and recognize You. You are our comfort. You alone are our joy. You alone our salvation. And everything else that we're trying, it's just not going to be enough. And so I pray, Lord, that You would direct our hearts there this Christmas and also help us to think not only about ourselves and our own need for change and repentance, but also for others. Because this idea of leveling the ground is about giving and sacrificing in response to the Gospel to those in need. I pray that you'd help us to recognize those opportunities and to do so in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.